Amen. Okay, well, we could take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 9, and we're going to really just be in one verse this morning. So, what is happening in the world? And the message I've entitled is, what is the world coming to? People are asking that today. Some of our political prophets are saying that we have nine years to avert the worst consequences of a climate crisis to save the planet. So our political prophets are saying that we're going to end the world by climate disaster, but I assure you they're wrong. They're false prophets. God has a plan on the earth, and his plans will be worked out. So what is the world coming to? It's not going to end in climate disaster. It's going to end with Christ coming. The world will be over as we understand it when God is good and ready for it to be over, and he will destroy it, not with a little bit of climate change, but with a big fire. That's a whole lot of climate change. <laughs> but as we're studying in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was praying. He was confessing his sin. He was praying and supplicating, confessing his sin, the sins of the nation. Sometimes, if anybody asks you this, people have said this to me many times through the years, I don't know how to pray. Sometimes I'm sure your unsaved friends or new Christians will say, I don't know how to pray. Anybody ever said that to you? I don't know how to pray. I, here's what to say to them. Go to Daniel chapter 9 and pray Daniel's prayer. That's good counsel because this is one of the great and powerful prayers of the Bible. As Daniel is confessing his sins one step at a time and then he specifically asks God, for something at the end of his prayer. And I want us to look at this in verse 19 of Daniel chapter 9. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not. That means do not delay. Do it now for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. So Daniel is praying specifically for what? For the city of God, which is what city? Jerusalem. And he's praying for thy people. What people is that? The, the Israelite people, the Jewish people. And that's who he's praying for. And when the answer comes from God to Daniel in this time of perplexity in the world, that looks like a perplexed person there. What's happening in the world? Daniel was wondering, what's happening in my world? God comes with, with, with an answer, not as Daniel had expected. You see, Daniel was hoping for the end of the captivity, Israel to go back to the land, and for Israel to be restored, the temple to be rebuilt, and never more roam from God. But that wasn't going to happen. Daniel was praying about the 70-year captivity ending, but God has a bigger vision, a longer vision in range. He talks about 70 weeks of time, and we're going to talk about what that is, but I will assure you it's longer than just 70 years. So as we begin today, this message, I want us to see that God has sent Gabriel 
from the presence of God. Gabriel has zoomed through the skies and he's come down to the earth and he's gone right into Babylon and he's speaking to Daniel. Gabriel is speaking these words that come straight from the mouth of God to to Gabriel. And now Gabriel is telling them to Daniel. So you know what I want us to be about this message? It's going to be kind of teaching, but we should be excited because this is the very word of God. So I want you to love this passage of scripture because it's from God. I want you to love God. I want you to love his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to look forward to what Daniel is talking about here, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And may this help us to serve God better. Let's read verse 24 again. It says in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now think about it. Daniel had just been confessing his sins, and this is what Daniel really wants. But it's not going to happen at the end of the 70-year captivity. It's all going to come to fruition after the 70 weeks of time. So let's see what the difference is there. Let's pray as we begin now. So now, Father God, take this time. And may we look into your word and see your outworking of your purposes for your people, Israel, and for all of us. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone who is not saved, if there's anyone who has not trusted the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, that today they would be saved. And Lord, that all of us would have our faith strengthened in the power of your word, that your word is true. It has come to pass and it will come to pass and no man can stop it. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. So let's look at this message today. I've entitled, What is the World Coming to? And we're going to look at this passage of scripture that has often been called the backbone of all Bible prophecy. You could make an argument that the book of the Revelation is really an exposition of verse number 27 of this passage of scripture. This passage of scripture contains prophecies that have been fulfilled, as we shall see. They Some have been fulfilled, and some are yet to be fulfilled. And so we can be sure that the ones that have been fulfilled, in a way literally, will also lead to literal fulfillments of the ones that haven't been fulfilled. So here's how I outline this passage. Verse 24, which is what we're going to look at today, is the accomplishment of this period of time that he calls 70 weeks. What is it going to lead to? And then in verse 25 is the first 69 of those weeks. So there's 70 weeks of time determined for Israel. Verse 25 tells us about the first 69 weeks. Verse 26 tells us about what? A a gap in the middle of those weeks. And then verse 27 tells us about the 70th week. So that's, this, that's a simple outline of this passage of Scripture. Now remember, this isn't my idea. This is Gabriel coming from God telling Daniel. So this is a powerful 
This is God's plan outworking of his plan on planet Earth. Now, here I put it in, the, in a chart. If you will look up here in the chart and you'll see the first 69 weeks. And we're going to talk about this. This is verse number 25. We'll talk about this next week. We'll look at this verse. This is the first 69 of the 70 weeks are all right there in verse number 25. Then there's the gap in verse 26. What happens in the gap time? And then verse 27 is the 70th week of the 70 weeks of time. So we're going to walk through this slowly. You know, as I've gotten older, time means more to me. And you know what I, I realize as I'm preaching through this? And I'm, I'm, I'm not in a rush as, I, as much as I used to be. I realize this might be the last time I'll preach from this passage of Scripture. Definitely the last time I'll preach it to you at Heritage Baptist Church. So let's just take our time and understand to, our best, to the best of our ability what it means. So I'm going to take a few weeks to walk through this. Now look at that. My mugshot is right in the middle of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be in the kingdom. There I am in the kingdom. <laughs> okay, let me go. Okay. Okay, now I like this chart. I got this chart out of one of my commentaries, I think from J.B. Phillips. And if you look at it for just a moment, you see number one is the prophet Daniel. And this is his vision. And Daniel prophesied X. Who is the X of who? Of Antiochus. And Antiochus was a type of who? Antichrist. We looked at that. So he preached and he saw the Antichrist and Antiochus, who was coming from his day as a type of the future Antichrist. But then Daniel also preached. And even in this passage, Daniel saw the first coming of the Messiah and the cross. And that's even mentioned in verse 26, that the Messiah will be cut off. We'll see that. But then the prophets and, especially, and Daniel all saw C, which is what? The, what's C? Christ's second coming and the establishing of his kingdom on earth. And so that's what really Daniel is seeing in this passage of scripture. That when Christ comes back, his kingdom will be established. And so Daniel is basically saying at the end of the 70 weeks of time that we're going to talk about, that's going to lead right into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's where Daniel's seeing. So just think about this. Daniel wants to know what's going to happen at the end of the seven years of captivity. God says, I've got a, lar a larger range of vision than just that. I'm going to show you. 70 weeks of time that will bring us right to the coming of the Messiah. That's what God is telling Daniel. But now in comparison to Daniel and the Old Testament prophets, look at number two. Who's number two? Those are the New Testament prophets or apostles. And what did they see? They saw the church because they were in the midst of the church age. But did the Old Testament prophets see the church? No, not one time is the church mentioned in the Old Testament because it was a mystery. So therefore, the church wasn't mentioned. What else is not mentioned? The rapture, because the rapture deals with the church. The rapture is God's dealing with the church. And so letter B is the rapture there. And so you can really say that the Old Testament prophets did not have a, a range of vision to the church or the rapture. But the New Testament prophets saw both the rapture and the second coming. 
So I, I like that chart. I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, now let's, let's look at this passage. Verse 24 this morning. And we're going to break it down into three simple parts. Number one, the time. We're going to talk about the 70 weeks. The participants, who are, who's involved in this. And number three, the plan or the purpose of God for this period of time. So first of all, the timing. What are these weeks, as he says? 70 weeks. Okay, stop right there. 70 weeks. What does that mean? Now, the word week literally means a unit of seven. So he's saying here, 70 units of seven. So the question is, is it 70 units of days? Is it 70 times seven days or 490 days? Is it 70 units of literal weeks or 490 weeks? Is it 70 units of months? Is it 490 months? Or is it 70 units of years, 490 years? Now, most Bible people who believe, as we do, of the coming of Christ say that this 400 and that this 70 weeks refers to 70 units of what? Seven year periods or a total of how many years? 490 years. Okay, so that's what most of us say. That's what I say. But why? Okay, so why would we say that the units are not days, weeks, or months, but actually 70 units of seven-year increments or 490 years? Well, I, I could give you four reasons. Number one is because what Daniel is describing could not happen within days, literal weeks, or months. It requires years. That's number one. Number two, if you look at verse 27... And he's talking about the last week of the 70. And he says in the middle of that week, something significant is going to happen. That leads us to the book of Revelation. Remember, in the book of Revelation, there's a time increments given for how many months? 42 months. Remember, like in Revelation 11, we won't look at the verses, but the time increments in Revelation, he talks about 42 months. How many years is 42 months? Three and a half years. So what does it say in verse 27? He will confirm a covenant for one week in the midst of the week. So in the midst of a week, if that week was a seven-year period, that would be three and a half-year period. How many months is that? 42 months. A 42-month period is spoken of in Revelation, as well as even the number of days that make up three and a half years, 1,260 Days, which would be also three and a half years. So because of this one week and how it's also talked about in other places, it leads us to say that it's 70 times seven years, a 490-year period. But that's not all. Go back to Daniel chapter 4, and this is where Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. And if you look in Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 15, and verse number 16, I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 4, verse 16, he says here, let his heart be changed from man's, let a beast's heart be given to him, and let, now what's the, what is the time frame there? It says, what, seven times pass over him. Now, again, the word time is, is just a general word, but is it seven days will pass over him? Is it seven weeks, seven months, or seven years? And he's talking about how long Nebuchadnezzar will, will have lost his mind. And how we remember he would crawl around like a beast. 
And how long was that? Also mentioned in verse 33, seven times shall pass over him. And I remember when we did that message, we made the, we made the point that for the things to actually happen, like Nebuchadnezzar's nails grew out, for example, that couldn't happen in seven days or seven weeks, not even seven months. It would have required seven years for his, his nails to grow out as they're described there. So that the seven times spoke about seven years, each time being a year. Now go to ch- chapter seven and verse 15. And here Daniel is prophesying of the Antichrist coming before Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. And notice how long the Antichrist will have full power to exercise his wickedness in the world. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it says, And he, that is the Antichrist, will speak great words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and there shall be given to his hand until a... Now notice the description of time. It's called what? A... Time and how, how often, how much was a time? Probably a year. And times, that's plural, that could be two. And what? A dividing of time. So there's another reason why we would say that the 70 weeks are 70 weeks of years, because here we have time, times, and half a time also to describe that three and a half year period of time that the Antichrist will really exercise his most devious plots against Israel and God's people. The last reason that I would say that this 77s is a 400-year period of time is look at the verse there, Genesis 29, 27. And that's where Jacob was working for his bride. And you remember how first he was given Leah, when he thought he was being given Rachel. But then Laban said, you have to work for one more week. And so he fulfilled his week, which was clearly, though, a seven-year period of time. So that simply said, there was an example in the Bible there in Genesis where a week refers to a seven-year period of time. So there's good reasons to say that this 70 weeks, and again, the word week means a seven, a unit of seven is 70 weeks of seven years. So it is a 490 year period of time. Any questions? Good. Let's go on to the next point. No, just kidding. (laughs) The second thing I want us to see is the participants. Now, who is involved in this? Notice what he says in verse 24, and this is all important in studying prophecy. He says, 70 weeks are determined upon who? Thy people, and upon what? Thy holy city, and who's the people? Who's Daniel praying for? Going back to verse 19, where he says, Oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. So now here's Gabriel coming to Daniel, and he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Who's the people? The Jewish people. Who else? No one else. This is a prophecy that relates to Israel. And to where? To Jerusalem. Where else? Not Munich. Not New York. To where? 
to Jerusalem. This is all important because one of the most common errors of Bible interpretation is confusing Israel with the church. So in other words, when you read, when they read here, thy people, some people want to just read the church into that, but he's not talking about the church. Daniel didn't talk about the church. The church was a mystery in the Old Testament. He's talking about Israel. And thy holy city, he's not talking about, again, he's not talking about uh, making Tampa, Florida, the, this holy, a holy city to the Lord. He's talking about Jerusalem. Daniel is burdened about his people who need to repent and about his city, which is, is in desolation. One of the most common and one of the most great errors of Bible interpretation is confusing Israel and the church. At the heart of a dispensational understanding of Scripture is that Israel is distinct from the church. And I believe that's very important as we look at this passage and many prophetic passages. Now, I, I, I was looking through my commentaries on this verse, and many of them said something similar to what Dr. John Whitcomb, who is a real great man of God, and actually was in an independent Baptist church when he lived the last part of his life and then went to be with the Lord. He was in a church of a pastored by a friend of mine in Indianapolis. I even went to a conference. I went to a men's conference in Indiana a few years ago, and he was there. And I got to actually preach to Dr. John Wickham. I felt so, like, so small to be able to do that. I went to another conference, and I heard him preach when he was very senior in years, and he literally was just sitting down speaking to us about creation and about the Word of God after all his years of training and all of his experiences. He's a great man. But he's written a very good commentary on Daniel, and this is what he says. He says, it should be noted carefully that the prophecy does not focus on the church, but rather on your people Israel and your holy city Jerusalem. This hermeneutical key unlocks the meaning of large numbers of prophetic scriptures that have remained obscure during the centuries when Israel and the church have been considered to be essentially the same entity. That's a really good statement, because for many years— in Bible interpretation, Israel and the church were blended together as one and not kept distinct. And it leads to incorrect interpretation and conclusions about prophecy. By the way, when I say, um, get into a little theology here, but when I say dispensational theology, I'm saying that God has a distinct plan and program for Israel and he has a distinct plan and program for the church. Now, that's not all the dispensational theology is, but that's one of the key ingredients of it. On the other hand, a covenant theology or a reformed theology, which is often by Calvinists and came really out of John Calvin's teaching, which took some of Roman Catholic eschatology with it, but basically they blended together. Covenant or reformed theology blends together Israel and the church. And therefore, it leads to different conclusions on, let's say, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. A lot of covenant or reformed theologians don't see a literal millennium. They say it's just we're spiritually fulfilling the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The church is fulfilling that now. You see what they're saying? They're saying that there's no, there's no real plan in the future for Israel, but the church has replaced Israel in all of those promises. And we say no. God has clear 
promises for national Israel and a plan for Israel and a clear plan for the church. Okay, so I hope I'm not glossing over you over too much on some of this. John Walvoord said this, a very important aspect of the prophecy is that the 70 weeks relate to Daniel's people and his city, Israel and Jerusalem. The church as such has, I should say, has no relation to the city of Jerusalem or to the promises given specifically to Israel relating to their restoration and repossession of the land. So what does all that lead to? What, why am I saying this? Because he's saying 70 weeks, 490 years is determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. The 70 weeks that we're looking at here has nothing to do with the church. The church is not even in any of the 70 weeks. So I would just say lovingly, keep Israel, keep the church out of the 70 weeks. That's my conclusion based on that right there. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, thy holy city. Keep the church out of all the 70 weeks. That means keep the church out of the tribulation as well. Okay. And so these 70 weeks are determined upon Israel. And of course, the tribulation time is the last of the 70 weeks. Israel, the church was not in the first 69 weeks. The church is in this gap of time, as well as the rapture. And the 70 week is the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church. So, and we talked about that. Now, Secondly, let's look at the plan. What is the plan that God has for Israel? What is the plan to be accomplished? And Daniel is saying this to us through Gabriel, that these 77s, this 490-year period of time, will complete God's plan with Israel and usher in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And there are three things that he speaks about, actually six things that he speaks about, and I see them divided into two parts of three. But let's look at them. Let me just read them again. And, and also to make this point, there are six equal things that he's speaking about here, really. But I see that you could divide them into two parts. But notice the conjunction and in the midst of them, in, in between each one, where he says to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So they're equal things. There are six of them. The first three relate to simply this. The rebellion of Israel will be forgiven. What has Daniel been praying about? Lord, forgive us of our sins. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. We have departed from you. And God is saying, Daniel, at the end of the 70 years, their iniquity is not going to be done. They're not going to be done sinning still. But at the end of this 490 years, then it will be done. <laughs> so, you know, Daniel's prayer gets answered, but not in his time. <laughs> Daniel was hoping it would be sooner. Like how, how we often pray, we pray that our prayers would get answered soon and not in 490 years. You know, Lord, give me a husband. In 490 years, I'll answer that prayer. No. But this is talking about the kingdom of Jesus, where God says through Isaiah, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
That's the promise of God. That's going to happen. The earth. You say, what, what's going on in the world today? What is the world coming to? That. The world is coming to one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and the word of God. You say, that's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. <laughs> that's what he's going to do. So we, we of all people should maintain hope. So God says, the rebellion of Israel will be forgiven and their transgression will be finished. And what my understanding of that is God is saying to finish the transgression, the root of transgression is the idea of rebellion, rebellion against God. So God is saying this to Daniel at the end of this 490 year period. That's when Israel's rebellion and wanderings and backslidings against me will be brought to an end. Now, Israel's history is one of turning to God, say, oh, God, we'll follow you. And then what do they do next? <laughs> they turn away from God, like at Mount Sinai. Oh, God, we'll keep your word and your commandments. And then they go worship the golden calf. And throughout the book of Judges, there's a cycle of apostasy. And even here now, think about this. Daniel is praying, God, forgive us of our iniquity. Return us back to you. Restore the city, restore the temple. And God is going to bring them out of captivity and they're going to rebuild the temple. But given a few years, what's going to happen? The Messiah is going to come and what are they going to do to him? What is national Israel going to do to Jesus? They're going to turn against him and kill him. So the sins of Israel will not be done at the end of this captivity. They will be done at the end of the 77s. <laughs> Their transgressions, their backslidings against God. But first, Messiah had to come. And that's what Daniel focuses in on here in this passage. The Messiah coming. Even in verse 26, mentioning the Messiah will be cut off. And we're reminded of Isaiah 53. Because again, look at that word. To finish the transgression. Same word used in Isaiah 53. Can you read it with me? It says... But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And of course, the healing there has nothing to do in the context, really, of physical healing. It has everything to do with the forgiveness of sins and the restoration to a life of righteousness in Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our salvation. And for our peace and for us to be righteous in the sight of God. He was wounded to finish the transgression and then to make an end of sin. This, is, this speaks of sin being brought to a final judgment and forgiven. It should be sin will be brought to final judgment. And again, who, who fulfilled that? Jesus Christ. He would die within the 490 years, no doubt. But would Israel receive Jesus when he died? Have they nationally received him yet? If you went into any Jewish synagogue today, would they preach the verse that we just read from Isaiah as being fulfilled by Jesus? Would they say, Jesus fulfilled this. We have to turn to Jesus. No, Israel is not as a nation turning to Jesus and believing in him. Now, that doesn't mean Jewish people aren't being saved. Jewish people have been saved throughout the history of the church, but it's a remnant of Jewish people that are being saved. 
But when Jesus Christ comes in, we will see Israel will turn back to the Lord. And their sin, they will realize, was brought to judgment by Jesus Christ on the cross. They will believe that Jesus died to fulfill the promises of forgiveness. And as Micah said, he will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19. And it was Jesus who's going to, by his death, that he does it. Then, it says to make reconciliation. I'm going to skip over that verse for now. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Now, look at that word reconciliation. You know what that word is, actually, in the original language? And I know you know the word. It's atonement. To make atonement. To do the work of atonement for iniquity. What does atonement mean? It means a covering of our sin so that God and us are at one, if you will. You know, you could even take that word atone, that God looks at us forgiven positively. He receives us. We're at one with God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We are reconciled. So one day is coming where Israel will turn to Jesus Christ and realize that he did the work of atonement. He's the atoning sacrifice for him. When he died on the cross, that was the ultimate great day of atonement. Israel will believe in Jesus Christ one day as a nation. Now, I just had a verse up here. And I want to go back to it in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 is a very important passage because whereas the, 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 the idea of a new covenant is referenced by Isaiah, by Ezekiel, it's only mentioned in the specific term new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. This passage is so, is so important as well for us as New Testament Christians because in the New Testament book of Hebrews, this passage in Jeremiah 31 isn't quoted on two occasions. And this is the verse that he quotes to us in the New Testament. But we're going to read it out of Jeremiah. Look what he says. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. But they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will do what? I will forgive their iniquity. That's the word used right here to make reconciliation for iniquity. And remember their what? Sin no more. That's the word used in Daniel 9 to make an end of sins. And ultimately, that was done through who? Through the work of Jesus Christ. This is available to the Jewish people now. It's available to the whole world to have sins finished, iniquity forgiven, reconciliation accomplished. The work of Jesus is done for all people. But Israel hasn't received yet the work and applied the gospel to themselves. But never forget what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know the verse, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And then what's the rest of the verse say? To the, to the Jew first. Why? Because Jesus Christ 
made a covenant with Jewish men. Why? Because Jeremiah says God is going to make a covenant with who? Israel. So what about us? We're not Israel. We're not Jewish people. Oh, but we believe in it. See, this is a covenant for all people, too. We've entered into the salvation promise of the new covenant. But we haven't seen the fullness of it yet. The fullness of it will be when Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom and Israel is saved. And that's what this passage also reminds us of, that Israel will be saved. Israel will one day receive Jesus Christ and understand that his work on the cross will forgive all their rebellions, will make an end of their sins, and would be their atoning sacrifice. So I want us to go to these two verses, and if you could please turn to them. I have them on the screen. Uh, You know what? I didn't put them on the screen in the first service uh, because I want people to turn to it. Sometimes we get a little lazy, but I would ask if you guys could turn to it in your Bible in Zechariah chapter 12. And look at this. So when is Israel? What's going to happen? When Jesus Christ comes back, Zechariah tells us what's going to happen. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Right at the culmination of the battle of Armageddon. And then in verse 10, he says, and I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him. Who? Who is this? They will see Jesus. But who are the people that are mourning for him? Who are the people who are looking? The Jewish people. The Jewish people. See, this is why, too, that we have to, when it says Israel, see it as Israel. Israel is not the church. So when he comes back, Israel will mourn for him and will realize that they crucified the, the Savior of the world, that they're that their God, the God of Abraham, sent to deliver them. They crucified them, their Messiah. And they will look upon him whom they pierce, and they shall mourn for him as one mourned for his only son. I love the language here. This is the Old Testament. But look at this. As one's only son. He is the only son of God, isn't he? And then it says, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That Jesus Christ was the firstborn of the earth. Wow. And they will mourn every family apart. So now go to Romans chapter number 11. Go to Romans, please, chapter number 11. And Romans chapter 11, Paul is talking about national Israel. And again, when we read these verses, don't say this is spiritual Israel and the church is spiritual Israel. You know, that, that's bad Bible interpretation, I believe. In Romans chapter 11, he's talking about national Israel. Even in the very first verse, he says, I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. And he's dealing with this question. Has God cast away his people? Is God done with these people who crucified the Messiah? And his answer is no. The promise that God is making to Daniel is going to be fulfilled. And Paul brings it out in this, in this chapter. If you look at verse 25 and 26, please, of Daniel, uh, Romans 11, he says, Romans chapter 11, verses 25 
and 26. He says, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. That's what's under them today. That's what's upon them, a judicial blindness. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. We're in the times of the Gentiles. Jesus spoke about that. In other words, Gentile nations even ruling Jerusalem and and having much of the control of Israel, even to this present moment, we're in the times of the Gentiles. But then it says, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and he shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Daniel's prayers will be answered when Jesus Christ comes again. And he says, verse 27, this is my covenant with them when I shall take away their sins. Those are the key words of Daniel chapter 9 as well. So, praise God. The rebellion of Israel will be forgiven. Their transgressions will be finished. He will make an end of their sins. He, has, he will make that reconciliation of iniquity will be received. And then righteousness, letter B now in your notes. Oh, and, and okay, let, let's keep moving here. Righteousness for Israel will be received. So that's the next three points. If you go back to Daniel chapter 9, so he's, he lists six things that are going to happen, and then the millennial kingdom is going to come through, uh, begin. So basically, chapter 9 of Daniel, verse 24, he's saying that the 70 weeks are going to accomplish these things and they will be fully received. The work of Jesus Christ will be fully received by Israel. And therefore, those first three things that we've been talking about will occur. Their rebellion will be forgiven. And then the next three is their, the righteousness of Israel, the righteousness for Israel, the righteousness of God in Christ will be received. He says here to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. To bring in everlasting righteousness speaks of the righteousness and peace will fulfill or will fill all of Jerusalem. What a verse this is. Can you imagine this happening? What's happening in the world today? What's the world coming to? Oh, you know, as Christians, let's be positive. You know what's the world is coming to? The coming of Jesus Christ. And you know what's going to happen when he comes? The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Oh, man, that's, that'll never happen. No, yes, it will happen. Because our God said it was going to happen. And it's going to happen. And this is where we have faith. And we, we're positive in the midst even of dark times. Keep hope, beloved. Keep, keep strong in the Lord and the power of his might. God said this to Daniel. And as I said in this passage of scripture, some things have already been fulfilled and some are yet to be fulfilled. And just as the things that he said were going to happen in the past happened, things that have not yet happened, they're going to happen. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then he says to seal up the vision and prophecy, which simply means that the need for visions and the ministry of prophets in the millennial kingdom won't there won't be a need for visions in the millennium there won't be a need for prophets in the millennium the need for visions and the ministry of the prophets will cease how come jesus is going to be there 
Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning with the rod of iron. Jesus is going to be the Lord of, the, of, a, of a new temple in Jerusalem. King of kings and Lord of lords visibly ruling in the earth. So in the, in the kingdom to come, there will not be a need for visions and ministry. The ministry of prophets will be complete. And again, going back to this passage in Jeremiah, look what he says. He says, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least even to the greatest of them. So in a sense, that, that saying right there, he will seal up the vision and the prophets. There won't be a need for visions and prophets in the kingdom. But you know, think about this. Beloved, we're New Testament believers, right? We've trusted Jesus Christ. We've believed in his work on the cross. I want to challenge you today. Make sure you're saved, for one, because you can know for certain that your sins are forgiven. Your transgressions are gone. He's made reconciliation for you. You can know for certain that Jesus Christ came to do that. And then stop your wandering from him. Stop your rebellion from him. Stop going off and doing your own thing from him. Live for him with all your heart. Because one day when Israel looks upon him and see him whom they have pierced, Israel will stop their rebellions. There will be no more captivities, no more slaveries, no more wanderings away from God. National Israel during the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let that have, let the work of Christ have that effect on us now. Amen. What a day it's going to be when the righteousness that is available for Israel will be received. And again, maybe I'm talking to someone today. Righteousness is available for you today. Salvation and forgiveness of sins is available for you now. What are you waiting for? Don't wait any longer. Come to Jesus today. So when Christ comes... He's saying he'll bring in an everlasting righteousness. There will be no need for prophets. And number three, to anoint the most holy. Now look at this passage. Look at the last, We're at the very end now. We're almost done. Verse 24, he says, and to anoint, what are the last two words? Most holy. Now you know what that word most is? Holy. And you know what the word holy is? Holy. It's actually the same word in the Hebrew. And, it, and this, this is translated in other places. He will anoint the holy of holies. So that leads me to believe that this anointing is setting apart a rebuilt temple in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ will be the king of that temple. And Ezekiel wrote about that temple, actually. It's a millennial temple. So as we close, go to this passage, and I have it in your notes. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. I won't read all of those verses that I have there. It's quite fascinating about this temple. But it's just amazing how this, it, it goes together like this, you know, hand in glove. It just fits together. In Ezekiel chapter 37, God says in verse 22, when they come back, as he says, I will make them one nation. Now, one nation believing in Jesus Christ. 
I will make them one nation. That's verse 22. One king shall be king to them all. Who's the king? Verse 22. That would be Jesus. Verse 23. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore. Daniel's prayer will be answered. And verse number 26. If you skip down to verse number 26. Ezekiel 37. He says, moreover, I will make a covenant. There's again a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify or set apart Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. That's what Daniel is talking about when he says, and to anoint the most holy, the holy of holy place, a sanctuary in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. It's going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming someday. Now let's make, as we, you've been very good listening. Let, Let me try to make an application to our lives. Daniel was praying for something to happen. More immediate. But God says, not so fast. We have to be patient on the Lord. But be sure of this. Just as sure as God did have a timing for Israel. He has a timing in your life. And just as sure as as God had a plan and purpose for Israel. He does have a plan and purpose for your life individually. And for our life as a church today. Yes, he has a special plan for Israel, and we've talked about that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have a timing in your life. Wait on the Lord and be of good cheer. Wait on the Lord and trust in him with all your heart. Don't push your way ahead of God. Wait on God. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life in the midst of your sickness. Right, brother? He has a purpose in that, to work it out. He has a purpose in your life, in your singleness. Wait on God in your singleness and be pure before the Lord and build up spiritual strength in the Lord. He has a purpose in your life if you're married. Stay married. It'll be the hardest thing you've ever done. (laughs) But it'll be the best thing. You know, the hardest things you do are the most rewarding things. And the only way, I've said this many times, right? The only way you can have a good marriage is what? Stay in your marriage and make it good. You know, if there's something wrong in your marriage, get on your knees before God and say, God, help it. Make it right. And you say, well, but my wife won't listen to me. Well, get on your knees with your wife and be the leader in your home, men. Be a leader in your home. And and lead your wife in love and show her the right way. Show her God's way that you're going to lead your family into the pathways of God. And you're going to see the blessing of God in your life because God is a God of blessings. He does want to bless us. He says the thoughts that I think as he was for Israel, even in the midst of their captivity. I believe God was seeing this when he said, I have thoughts of peace for Israel to bring you to an expected end. This is the ultimate end. The kingdom. God has an end for each of our lives, for our families and for our individual lives. Be patient. Be of good cheer. Let the promises 
of God abide in you and live in you so that there will be fruitfulness abiding and abounding and remaining in you so that you can live life without guilt and you could face death without fear because Jesus Christ is King of Kings and he's coming again. Let's stand together as we pray. Hallelujah. He is Lord of Lords. So what is the world coming to? The glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ is coming. And because of that, we are of all people most hopeful. Because of that, we ought to be of most people most confident, most joy-filled. Because we've won. We're, we're already on the winning side. I don't know about you, but, you know, some of us like sports. Not everybody here. But when your team wins, you're happy. Guess what? Our team wins. Jesus Christ is our captain, and he's won. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He took all our sins. He rose again. He's alive. So trust in him with all your heart, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm going to ask this of those in Zoom as well. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you're saved today, whether you're here or on Zoom, you know Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins and you have received his work to make a finish of your transgression. He took all your sins to make an end of your sins. He put them all to judgment and to reconcile you. You say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ did all that and he's coming again. Put up your hand to the Lord as a testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Say, I know he's my savior. I believe and I trust in him. And I'm so thankful for what he's done for me. And you know, we're like Daniel many times. We pray and we pour out our heart and we want an answer right now. And so did Daniel, but he didn't get the answer he was looking for. He got something better and bigger. And so when God doesn't answer your immediate prayers, just wait. <laughs> Because he's going to do something exceeding abundant above what all you can ask or think. That's what we have to believe. That's what I want to believe in my life as well. Because we serve a great God. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. So let us wait on him. He has a timing in our life. He has a plan to work everything out for his glory and our ultimate good. His kingdom is coming. If you're here without Jesus Christ, you can put your hands down. You say, I didn't put up my hand because I'm not saved. Call on him today. If there's anyone here, call on him today. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And because of my iniquity, I deserve and am worthy even of death and hell. And to be separated from you forever, O Lord. But I believe you died on the cross to make reconciliation for my iniquity, to bring me at one with you and to forgive me of all my sins so you could look with favor upon me. Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and I believe you rose again and I call on you. Save me now, Lord. If you're here without Jesus, call and say, Lord, save me from my wicked sins and forgive me. Come into my heart. And if you 
truly ask Jesus to save you, he will. Let us know if you're doing that today. Father, thank you for this day and your love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is what the world is coming to. Jesus Christ will be crowned, not with the crown of thorns, but with the crown of a king. But because he wore that crown of thorns for us, let's live for him.